0: Bibles this morning please to Second Samuel uh, chapter 7, 2 Samuel chapter 7, I'm going to try and be as short as I can this morning. So please, please bear with me, but I really do believe God has got something to say, and I I just feel as though God's been giving me this word over the last few weeks, maybe months, uh, as God's been speaking to me through different scenarios, so you'll, as I go through this morning, this message, you'll, you'll suppose you'll realise that some of the things are quite recent for me that have been happening in my life, but if we let's just read from 2 Samuel uh, chapter 7, it's quite a long bit of a passage, so please stay with me as we go through this. It says, after the king... Was settled in his palace, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him. He said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, saying this Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? Have I not dwelt in a house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day? I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people of Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David this. This is what the Lord... Almighty says, I took you from the pasture and, the, and from the following the flock to be a ruler of my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you've gone, and I have cut off all of your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth, and I will provide a place for my people Israel, and will plant them so that they have a home of their own, and no longer be disturbed." Wicked people shall not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and your rest with your fathers, I will raise up an offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body. And I will establish his kingdom. He's talking about Jesus here. Amen. He is the one who will build a house for my father. For my name, sorry. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Amen. I just want to move on. If you could just move on in the scripture to verse 27. And let's just pick up at the end there. And he says this. "O Lord Almighty. This is David's response to God. O Lord Almighty God of Israel. You've revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. So your servant has found courage to offer you this prayer. O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these good things to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. For you, O sovereign Lord, have spoken, and with your blessing, the house of your servant Will be blessed forever. Amen. Great words, yeah. And he's talking about Jesus, as we see there. David recognizes it at the beginning there, if you're not familiar with this scripture. He's talking about the ark of God, bringing the ark of God and building a house. For the Ark of God and if, if people don't know what that is, the Ark of the Covenant was something that housed the presence of God in the Old Testament. Today we believe that Jesus came in his spirit and we no longer have to have that. But in the Old Testament they had the Ark of the Covenant and David here wants to house the Ark of the Covenant in a house that is almost like his. He's saying basically in the beginning of the scripture, God I recognise that I'm living in this amazing house I've got built with cedar and you're in a tent and you've been moving around for a long time, but now I want to put you in a house just like mine. I want to build you into my life just like mine. Amen. The title of my message this morning is this, the DIY delusion. And to abbrevi- uh, the abbreviation for that is the do-it-yourself delusion. I don't know, if. put your hands up if you've heard of a book by a man called Richard Dawkins called The God Delusion. A few of you. The God Delusion is basically a book, it's not a nice title, but it's basically a book that a guy wrote that basically denounces and and, and disproves God. He basically tries to disprove the existence of God. And as many of you know, that as we as Christians here this morning believe that that's totally not true. But what this guy is basically saying, he leaves the reader with the question that really you're left to live your life the way you want to do it. So you do it yourself we know that since the beginning of creation, God gave a choice to Adam and Eve. They broke, that, they broke the um, command when they took the fruit and they tried to do things on their own. Since the very beginning of creation, they've tried to do things on their own. And it is our nature to want to do things on our own, to do it ourselves. Even as a Christian, for me, I get challenged every day to think, this is not going my way, so I'm going to try and do it myself. And the enemy sometimes comes in his subtle ways to try and get us to change from trusting God to doing it ourselves. So this morning's message called the DIY delusion. I want to give the opposite to what Richard Dawkins says in the God delusion. And that is, I think that people are deluded to think they can do it by themselves. Amen? If any of you know what DIY is, do, do it yourself. I am a big fan of do it yourself stuff. I like to try and have a go at everything. Mirek knows this because he has been round to my house on a morning, uh, a few months ago actually, called him the first thing to say, I've got a shower that needs uh, fixing, it's broken. Mirek was round there within half an hour looking at my shower and he said, you know you need to do this, you can get someone in to do it and pay them or you can try and do it yourself. And I'm always one to try and save a bit of money and Emma knows that. It takes me a long time to do these jobs but I'm always one who tries to save money. And he came around and he says, you can do this, this, and this. So straight away, I'm on the phone trying to buy all of the parts to fix my shower. And I did it in the end. It took a while, but many, many other times I've failed. We uh, About a couple of years ago, we were decorating a room upstairs, took the radiator off, trying to do my plumbing side of things. And um, everything was fine. And I thought, Emma's going to be really, really proud of me because I'm, I'm actually achieving stuff here. I'm, I'm becoming a real man, you know. The father of the house who, who, who can even fix a radiator to, to decorate or take the radiator off. But lo and behold, when we came home the, the day after I took it off, we got home and I, I was just taking the bins around the side of the house. And as I was taking the bins around the side of the house, I heard this shout inside as Emma walked in the house. And she says, Phil, Phil, come here. And I ran in the house and the whole house was flooded downstairs in the kitchen. All the downstairs, because the, the radiator I'd left on the tap, and it had been dripping through the floor all day, and had filled all of our kitchen. The light, there was water dripping through the lights. And she looked at me and said, next time, get someone else in to do it. But you know what I mean? It's, it's the same thing, and I'm still like it, even though I didn't, I didn't learn my lesson, I suppose, because I still try to do things myself. And we're all like that sometimes. We want to try and do it ourselves, because sometimes the cost might be a bit too big. So we try to do it ourselves. I just want to take this scripture this morning about David and and what happened with when God spoke to him, and just bring out three points that we can look at that will help us build our lives, that help us integrate God into our lives and not do it ourselves. As David planned to build a house, he says this, when he said, I, I recognize what I've got. I've got this beautiful house. And he says, that he's almost saying, I want to create something for God. I want to attach God onto what I've got. I want to make something for him. He's, he's in a poor tent. I'm going to let him have part of my life. I'm going to build something just like I've got and let him live in it as well. And when he says these things, we know that there's a, there's a key guy here who's with him. And he's called Nathan. He's a prophet. And Nathan, the prophet, basically responds to him and says this. The first thing he says is, whatever you've got in mind, whatever you've got in your mind to do, do it. God will be happy with it. He won't, he won't mind, he'll be happy with it. That's the, that's the thing he replies with. But we know this, as we read the scripture on, that God had a different plan. It wasn't the plan that David had to build this house. And I want to ask this morning, are you seeking God's plans for your life are you seeking his approval for the plans that you have already? It's easy to do that. We can, we can have plans, many, many plans. And we can show them to God quickly and say, do you think these are alright? And hope he approves. But God is saying, submit everything to him. And here we just just in this bit of scripture. We see that Nathan, the prophet, advises him and says, you can do whatever you like. God will be happy. And what, what we actually see here is that Nathan is actually wrong. He's actually giving wrong advice. Let me just tell you this. Friends, it doesn't matter who you, your friends are. They could be the best preacher, the best person on God TV that you meet in a conference. It doesn't matter who they are. If they give you advice, it can't, it's not always right. It doesn't always have God's signature just because they're on a pulpit. And you've got to remember that when you come to make decisions in your life and people input in. It's good to have people around you. That's what the church is for. But it doesn't mean that we're perfect and what we say is the right thing. We can only give our wisdom and godly advice. Consider Job and his friends. We had a a study on Job not so long back and we looked at each friend what they said to to Job. And all the friends gave godly, uh, wise advice. But even when they give this godly, wise advice, God comes in at the end and he changes it and says, actually, they're all wrong. Because this is what I want. And it's the same here. That we can see that Nathan comes with his own wisdom and says, whatever you want to do, he'll be happy. And our friends might do the same. So we need to be careful that what we hear from our friends, we test with God. Yeah, that's why I always believe that when I do prophesy or ever use the prophetic or things like that, I always believe that what I say is, is God, doesn't mean just because I said it and that's why I'm always careful to say, "God, I feel God said this or you've got to be very careful in what we say. Because what, if I say God told me this and someone goes away and thinks that really, you know, he got something right before, that means what he's saying now is right, that's, that's totally wrong. There could be, let me tell you this, and I'll put my hand up to this. All the time I've been prophesying in this church, let me tell you, I I, I would say that I don't even know 50% of what I said could be wrong. I don't know. I go with what I believe God is telling me to say sometimes, but sometimes we've got to be very careful with this. So I always believe, when I've received prophetic words, I don't take it as that, that that is the God's word. I believe that I test it. And sometimes we all know that God brings other prophets and speaks to us and confirms words. And that's what it's all about. So be very careful about what other people say, no matter who they are. You know, if we've got plans that we want God to bless. And we want to show him and say, this is what we want to do with our lives. We want to build you into our lives. It's almost like, I don't know if you've ever known this, but um, with, with when you build a house, especially in England, you have to get planning permission. If you want to build any building, you have to get some form of planning permission. And my dad is actually a building control officer. All all the years I've grown up, I've known my dad. He's come home every single day and told me lots of different stories about people who are building buildings, submitting plans to him. And then what he has to do is he has to drive out to these houses or wherever they are, big structures. He's been to different things like uh, dangerous structures, football stadiums. Anytime they're building these buildings, he looks at them and he has to assess the plans to see whether they will be approved before they'll build the house. And I've heard many, many times my dad would come home and say, we would be having his dinner together. And he'd say, yeah, I've been on a job today. And I had to tell the guy he didn't have any permission to do what he'd done. And the whole thing had to be ripped down. The builders that had just finished building a building, houses, they had to tell them to take the whole thing down. Isn't that amazing? You think, and sometimes he'd it t- tell me of houses I knew about, and I'd think, well, they look great on the outside. But things were wrong deep down. Foundations weren't deep enough. Things were wrong. It looked okay on the outside, but... Deep down, and this is what the experts did. They looked and said, "This needs to come down." And it's the same for us. Sometimes we can build something that looks really good. It looks godly. It looks like this is the the typical Christian life that I should have. It should everything that we need in life. And then we say to God, "God, are you pleased with this? Do you think? Do you approve? You know, I go to church. I do all these things, and it looks like a good Christian life. God, will you bless me now?" And God's thinking this, I didn't even want you to live there. I didn't even want you to do that what you're doing. You know sometimes, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but God says if you want a laugh, look at your plans. God God will always laugh at our plans if we just think that they're the best and the only thing. God's got far, far many more plans for us than what we could imagine. James 4 verse 13 says this about boasting about tomorrow. He says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say this, if it's the Lord's will, we will live there and do this or that. You see, James is saying here basically, That it's not about, that. to have plans is a bad thing. There's nothing wrong with planning. There's nothing wrong, it's a good thing. God gives us the ability to plan, to put structures in place and to do things. But it's good to include him. Not just show him your plans, but include him in your plans. So that he develops them with you. Yeah? And here we read that he says, James says this. That we can boast and say all the things that we're going to do. All the things that we're going to do tomorrow in a year's time and how we're going to make money and do all this. And God says this, just include me. Just include me, that's all I want. And if you say to me, if it's the Lord's will, give it to God, commit your plans to God. And there was nothing bad about David's plan to build an ark, was there? You know, if you really think about it, if if the ark of the covenant has been travelling around in a tent for a long time. And then David says to God, he, he says, I want to build this place for you. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's actually a beautiful thing that he considered God in that way. But all I, all I want to bring out here is that it's not what God wanted. God had bigger and better plans. And actually, your plans are nowhere near as good as what God's got. Nowhere near. No mind can conceive what God has got in store for them. Amen. The second point I want to bring this morning is to put your plans to the test. If you've got plans and you want to share them and develop them with God you need to put them to the test. And this, let me tell you this morning this is a big question over my life, over everyone's life as a Christian. What the will of God is for your life. What you should be doing now. What you should be doing in years to come. It's the biggest question that Every single Christian I've ever met uh, met always says that they want to know what God's will is for their life. They want to know what they should be doing, the destiny, the ministry. Because as soon as we come into the kingdom of God and we realise there's a potential to do things, that's the first thing we want to do. We say, well, we don't want to grow in the world. We want to grow in the kingdom of God. So they want to know what their destiny is and their will. It's a natural thing. It's a good thing to have them desires. Proverbs 16 says this, all a man's ways seem innocent to him, but his motives are weighed up by the Lord. Basically saying this, that all your ways, all the plans you have might seem innocent in some way. But God really knows what's in your heart. He knows the real plan. He knows the real reason why you choose certain things. Why you want to suggest certain places to go. You know, sometimes I've heard people say before, you think they want to go to certain places where it's sunny to preach the gospel. And you think, are they really going there because they want to preach the gospel or they want to be in a nice place to preach the gospel? It's a good thing to do that, but we've got to check the motives of heart. If you can think you can fool God, you can't. God knows every motive we have in every one of our plans. Amen. Jesus said these words, I will do Whatever you ask in my name. So that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. Isn't that great? We have heard that so many times. I've been in so many prayer meetings where we we, we say this before the prayer meeting. We can ask whatever we want and God will do it. Just ask in his name, in the authority of Jesus and he'll do it. And sometimes... I wonder, and I don't know if you question, you think, well, we've asked in his name, we've done all these things, but it still hasn't happened. Don't we? We we think we've done everything it says there. But sometimes I think we miss this little bit of a sentence here. He says, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. There's the reason. There's the reason for you asking why God would give it to you. Later on he said this, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Basically in them two bits of scripture, you can either read it, that you can ask God for whatever you want and he'll give it to you or you can read it in a different way. And I just want to bring that to you this morning. And here's the test. Here's the litmus test, as I would call it. Here's the test for all your plans. Do your plans help bring glory to the Father? And do they produce fruit for the kingdom of God? It's a big question. Two things. You can say, well, why isn't he giving me the, the car, the house I want? Does these things that you ask for bring glory to the Father through Jesus and produce fruit for the kingdom of God in the church, locally, whatever you're doing. Does it produce fruit in your life for the kingdom of God? Because when God brings us into his kingdom. When we become saved, when we become Christians. It's not just about living a life of blessing. But it's about as receiving things from God. God wants us to bless us. He wants to give us all the great things. But it's all for his purpose at the end of the day. And if you're, if you're asking with the wrong motives. And God understands and he knows that. That's why some things don't get answered sometimes. And we, and we question it. God has given us the ability. He's given us, I don't know if you know, sometimes we, I think we ignore, we, we put down the flesh, don't we sometimes? We say, you know, the flesh is bad and, the, and we, we look to God and we look to spirit. But sometimes I, wanna, I, wanna, I just want to remind you this morning that God created your body and he created an amazing body. He gave you the ability, an organ in here, mine's very small, but he gave you the ability. In fact, actually I remember when I just recently had a brain scan, an MRI scan for something, and by the way, I'm okay, but I remember when I got the results back and I said something to Tim and he said, did they see anything in there? I said, yes, they did, and I've got it to prove it at home, it's quite big actually. But yeah, he's, he's given us a brain, hasn't he? Something that is amazing, he's, he's made so amazingly, and... This gives you the ability to make decisions and choose. It's a godly thing. So we have to bring that together with the Spirit of God and and, and bring him into our lives, developing our plans, but also realise that he's given us something that is amazing that we can use to make good decisions, wise decisions. That's why it's a good thing when Solomon asks for wisdom. When Solomon asked for wisdom, it was a good thing. He could have had anything he wanted. But if he asked for wisdom to make good choices, godly decisions. So let me just tell you, sometimes you might be making a good decision. If you bring the word into it and bring God into your life, if you're making your own decision, you don't need a prophet to tell you everything. A few years back, we moved house to where we are now. We live just outside of Cambridge. We we used to live about 20 miles from here. So to come to church... Uh, each week we used to have an evening meeting, we used to drive 80 miles in one day to come to church. The reason why we did that is because we, we used to live out there, is because we couldn't afford to stay in Cambridge at the time, and we, we still wanted to be at this church, we still wanted to be doing things for God, but we, we still drove in every weekend. And even on a weekday, I always remember this, not many people knew it because they just saw us arrive, but even after work each each week, because it was such a drive to get back to our house and come back, it'd be a 40 mile round trip to go home and come back for an evening meeting. We used to sit in the car park and eat, eat sandwiches in the car and wait for a few hours till the meeting started. And we did that week in, week out because I didn't want to give up on God. I didn't want to give up on what I believed that God was calling me in this church to do as just being serving in this church. I just wanted to keep it up and I didn't want to push that aside. But it was a difficult thing because we are living so far out. And when we decided to move close, it was a big sacrifice. There were a lot of things that financially we had to sacrifice. A Big, big thing for us. And I wondered whether it was the right thing. And I kept asking God, you know, is it right for us to do this and to move where we're going? And at the time, I just really did feel, I'm not going to go into details but I really did feel God was saying, yes, if you do what I'm, if you, if you move there, I'm with you. Always remember, I'm with you. I remember him showing me a, a prophetic, almost an image of saying, I don't know if you, you, you know when, you cut, when someone cuts a ribbon on something, when they come to open up something. And they cut the ribbon and God said, if you let me cut the ribbon on this and, cut, and let me be part of it, it will be fine. So we d- we went ahead and, d- and and did it, and it was a big cost for us, and it still is. It's still a sacrifice sometimes, and you you wonder when things financially things are uh, are up in the air in the financial markets. You you wonder what you know what's going to happen, and we have to keep trusting God. It's actually a good place to be in sometimes to push yourself to trust Him. So I'd advise that sometimes, just to not to be silly, not to make bad decisions, but to trust Him, just to put yourself in a place of trust because it, you can then prove God more and that came at a cost for us but i believe today that god is he won't let us down but let me tell you sometimes you know even though we can believe that when it gets difficult when things start getting really tough that's when you start to think to yourself i don't know if i trust god i'm starting to doubt him now you can't hear the, the audible voice i don't get the the picture anymore of the ribbon cutting you know, and, and I'm sat there at home thinking, all I can feel is that my bank account is going down. And we've just got to trust God in them times. Times will come like that when God's a bit silent and we don't hear him. And it's important that we trust him and give God all the control over our lives. God's plans for us are not secret. There's some things that he doesn't reveal to us for our own good, but they're not Secret. And we, know, we all know the scripture of Jeremiah 29. I always have it and everyone knows it. They've got it on fridge magnets that says, For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. and Plans to give you hope and a future. He's got more than one plan. He's got many plans for us. And we've got to trust God that when things don't look too good, if our plans that we have not always look that good. Trust him because he says I have the plans to prosper you. Not to harm you. And let me just add, quickly add in there. it's Even in them times it's difficult when you have to give. And you have to tithe. But Jesus said, didn't it, uh, the, the prophet said, he said if, if you give, he says he'll rebuke the devourer. He won't come near you. And I, I can testify to that honestly, I can't. Over the years I've known God. When I've given my tithe. He has rebuked the devourer. People said to me. But but it still costs you a lot to give that. I'll tell you what. Things have gone wrong. But I, I think far more many, many more things would have gone wrong. If I wouldn't have been given. He rebukes the devourer. He protects us. So I advise you this morning to give. He, some people say I can't afford to give. You can't afford not to give. Yeah. And my third point this morning is this, that we should build on a solid foundation. We should build our lives. If we're going to include God, we should build him into it on a solid foundation. David was reminded in this scripture of his life's foundation. The word of God said this earlier, what we read, I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be a ruler over my people. I have been with you wherever you've gone, and I've cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. Amen. He's basically saying there, he's reminding David of his history, his his foundation in him. He's reminding him that says, David, do you realize the investment you put into me? In the times when it was difficult, the time you invested into me, I cut off all your enemies. I rebuked your devourer. I did all these things for you because you invested in me. You built your life on me. So therefore, you have a strong foundation. And if you continue in this way, and you continue to do my will and my plans, not yours. If you continue to do these things, he says, I will bless you and I'll make you the greatest men. Like one of the greatest men of the earth. And there it is. There's a promise there, isn't there? If we trust God, we put all our lives into his plans, all our plans into him, that he will be with us. Amen. The foundations of a building are the things that are not seen. When when my dad used to come home and he'd show me things and the houses that they had to take down... And he'd tell me about these stories. The foundations of the building that were the problem were the things that you don't see. But they're the most important bit of the whole building. We know that because I've got an extension on the back of our house. And one thing I've always asked is, could it have another level on it? And visually, I could easily just add a few more bricks and put another roof on. But Mirek will tell you this. That if the foundations were never strong enough to have two stories, you can't do it. You can't just add things on. You can't do that. And visually, houses might look just as nice. Two houses might look just as good. But if the foundations are wrong, then it has to come down. And obeying God develops that foundation. That's what David did. He obeyed God with obedience and investment into him. He developed that relationship and a foundation that was strong. And that's how we can do it today. If you want to develop a foundation... You have to have that relationship, that close relationship with God. Luke 6 uh, tells us the story. Many of you know it. Of If you want to turn to it, you can, but I'm not going to read it. But Luke 6 talks about the wise and foolish builders, doesn't it? It talks about two men. Jesus said this. He tried to give a parable, a story of two different types of builders. One who would build his house on sand... It would be quick to build. And then the other man was the man who would build his house, but would dig deep to find the rock to build on a solid foundation. And what he says in this is, he's basically, some of us, we can read that and think he's talking to people who don't listen to God, who are not Christians and Christians. Let me tell you, he's talking to Christians, he's saying you can keep coming to church each week listening to the word of God, listening to the things that will please you, that will scratch that spiritual itch, that will please you when you go out and say, I've done my thing, I've been to church. And you can listen to these things but never put them into practice. And you can look like the best Christian there ever is and there ever will be. But you're not putting these things into practice. And the difference between the two builders was this. That one of them was prepared to dig deep. To dig deep for solid foundations. But yet one of them was prepared to build on sand. And we know the next part of the story says this. That when the waves came crashing in. When the torrent came in. The flood came in. That the house that was built on sand crashed down immediately. But yet the other one stayed firm. And it's the same for us today. We need to build our lives on a solid foundation. Something that will last. Not something that will fall immediately. We can look like everything that a Christian should be. But as we've said already, we need the, God knows deep down. He knows the motives. He knows what we are obeying. What we listen to. What we obey. He knows all these things. So we need to make sure that we build. We actually obey His word. I don't know if you remember in two thousand and four. Um, I think yes, Boxing Day two thousand and four, when a massive tsunami hit. Um, the um, was it the was it first hit? In in Asia. Yeah. And it hit many, many places, didn't it? Everyone knows at Boxing Day when you woke up, you'd celebrate Christmas, and then the next minute on the news, you would seen all of these people dying from a massive flood. Not many people know this, but two months previous to that, me and Emma were celebrating our honeymoon, right in the very heart of where all that happened. Two months. And I remember one morning we got in a taxi in, in Sri Lanka. And we, we said to the people, take us to the best beach on this island. Take us to the best place. where We want to we be able to go back and say that we've been to the best bit. The, the bit that's got, where you, can, you know, you see on the pictures in the brochures, the, the palm trees, the blue sea. That's what we wanted to say we've been to the best one. And they said, let, let us take you there. It's cheap, but it's right at the bottom of the island. Right at the bottom of Sri Lanka, we'll take you there. So we got all our stuff and we went down to this beach early in the morning. And I remember us getting there and on this beach there were turtles swimming in the water it was gorgeous and we laid there in the sun cuz we love to lay in the sun and just read the books and we just we love that kind of thing just to relax and many of us do but as we did that and we were just I was just looking out at this beautiful place and it was one of the best beaches on the island two months later when the tsunami hit i f- the first thing i did was to go when they said it's hit Sri Lanka, is to type into Google and look at the place, that beach that we'd been on that morning. And lo and behold, every single house nearly and restaurant that was behind us within feet was totally flattened. From what looked like the most beautiful beach, it was devastating. A sign of death. I didn't see the bodies, but I knew that something serious had happened on the place that we had thought was tranquillity basically. It was a place where you get away from everything. And them houses were built in beauty. We know on the the postcards they look beautiful, they look great, but they never were built to withstand a wave that would come in like that. Who would ever expect it? And it's the same for us. We need to prepare our lives for the unexpected because we don't know what is going to happen next. We don't know what trouble will come our way. And that's why Jesus said this, We know that we'll have troubles in the world. And he said, prepare yourselves, prepare your lives. If you don't obey these things and you don't do them, when it comes, when the storm comes and the the torrent comes, you are not going to last. You're not going to last. James 1 verse 19 says this, Do not merely listen to the word of God and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the Word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he's like. Basically saying you can you can, look at, you can read the Word and then walk away. It's like a man looking into a mirror, seeing himself but then forgetting exactly what he looks like within minutes. And I encourage you this morning to, when you read the Word, when you hear what is said from this pulpit, And many, many places where you hear the word of God, I encourage you to put the things into practice. Do not go away from here today and disregard God to do it yourself. It's a delusion. How strong are your foundations this morning? If you were to assess yourself, how strong do you think if something really, the most severe thing that could come, the, the tsunami wave that could come this morning into your life, how strong do you think you are in God? To withstand it. It takes more effort to dig deep. That's what we see in the parable. If you want to dig deep. And you want to get to the rock. Where the strong foundations are. It takes effort. So building the house and taking the time. Is what develops you later your character. To withstand those things. And we need to be ready to prove God. My mum always says this. When everything. When some things go wrong for me. She says. It's the time now when you can prove God. You can prove him when things aren't going well. I don't know if many of you know, but a few weeks ago, we, me and Emma, were, we'd just come back from the hospital from a, a scan, the 20-week scan. And we were really happy. We'd seen um, the baby moving and all the pictures you get. And we dro- I dropped Emma back off at work. And as she went back into work, she was really happy. And within about half an hour of me dropping Emma off, I got a phone call from Emma. And she said this, quite tearful, she said, do you know I've been made redundant? I've just been called into the office, asked how the scan went, but I've been made redundant. So from something that seemed everything was going so well to within minutes, everything seemed to be turning the opposite direction. And straight away I thought to myself, you know what it's like when some if somebody tells you that if all my plans i had for the next l- let me tell you this if you think you've got plans i've got plans because i've got a spreadsheet that lasts till 2015 i think it's really good you can put things in it tells you what's going to happen in 2015 but i've got a spreadsheet that will tell me financially things that till 2015 it's all a load of rubbish because it never works it's never like i put in but i all the plans i had within minutes I was was stood on the phone thinking. It was almost like my head was trying to calculate the Excel spreadsheet. Because I thought, what what on earth is happening? God, where are you? What happened to you cutting the ribbon? What happened to you being with us and protecting us on this house? All of a sudden, now I'm being told that my wife's lost a job. She'll probably lose maternity pay. We won't have anything. And within minutes, the whole thing changed. That was, for me, that day was like a tsunami wave. It was like something hitting me, and I, and I thought, I've got no one to turn to, only God. And at first it was a shock, and I just kind of thought, how, do, how am I going to do this? How am I going to deal with it? But as we went on and we looked at it, we, we found out eventually, God turned things around, and we actually found that we were going to get the maternity pay, and things were going to be fine. Let me tell you this, if you want a tsunami wave on the same day, on that day when she phoned me up and told me this, about half past three in the afternoon, and an hour and a half later, I got another phone call at five o'clock to say that the car had totally broken down, wouldn't start. And I had to pick up my son, and we had to get home. Everything was going wrong. And I can tell you this, and I'm going to be honest with you this morning, I got a bit angry with God. Because I thought, how can this happen? How can these things happen when we trust you? But lo and behold, we sorted the car out and financially some things happened and I got a bonus at work that twice the amount that I expected that actually paid for the car to be dealt with. (laughs) Amen. But do you know, there's one thing out of it all that was great and it's not the money that came in, it's this, that I trusted God and I did get angry with him but then I asked God for forgiveness because I said I should keep trusting you. That's why we need to be ready with... Strong foundations so that we don't get angry with him. We can keep strong. But I remember not, it's actually someone in this church within days into what was happening sent a text message to me with a, a small prophetic word, a word of, of encouragement. Something that actually stated exactly where I was at and what was, what was going to happen, what God was going to do and i 've encouraged this person to keep moving in that gift because what they did that day for me is they showed me that God knows where i 'm at, and hearing his voice through someone else was far better than receiving a bonus that would just pay the car it was it, was, it would It would invest so much more into me to know that he 's with me for the months and years to come, so that the spreadsheet would be fine yeah that 's all i 'm bothered about. <laughs> But let me tell you that. So I encourage you this morning to not only seek after people who were moving in the prophetic or moving in these gifts, but to be, be like that yourselves. Because we, that's the reason we're here as a church, to be a blessing to each other. Isn't it? And to encourage each other. Amen. I'm going to bring this to a close now, but if we live a life for God, he will never forsake us. He'll never leave us. And God said to David this. He said, I will build a house for you. I'll do it for you. You don't have to build it. And that's what I realised. And this scripture came to me all in the midst of what was going on. that, That God said this. That it's not you who's building your house. I'm building your house. Not you. Yes, we have to do things. We have to prepare the foundations. But he's building it with us. Ultimately, he has the final say. And as we read her earlier, David's reply was this. You have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build a house for you. O sovereign Lord, you are God. Your words are trustworthy, and you have promised these things good to your servant. Now be pleased to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever in your sight. David saw that God was the past builder. He saw that he built where he got to. He'd rescued him from his enemies. He brought him to where he was at. He saw the history and the foundation. But he gave him this. He gave him a promise that if you continue, if you continue to trust me, there will be continued provision. Amen. That's me done this morning. If you just want to take a stand, I just want to ask the worship team to just come back up. And I had no particular plans for what I was going to do. And altar calls are not always the thing that is the answer. We don't just have to do an altar call on the end of any message to make it work. Because God speaks to us, doesn't he? Just by reading and hearing and listening to the word, that's where faith comes. Let's just stand in his presence this morning. There's been an awesome presence of God this morning. It's been great to be here. I'm just going to ask Tim in a minute to just lead us in a song. I think it'd be good to sing, I'm coming back to the heart of worship.